0: Hello readers, my name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Kate Brody. Her work has appeared in Lit Hub and the Literary Review. Her debut novel is Rabbit Hole, which is published by our friends at Soho Crime. Kate, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It is an honor to have you here, Kate. And first, uh, what has the process of publishing your first novel been like? Specifically, how has it been working with Soho Crime?
1: Soho is great. We had kind of a weird publishing process in that we sold the book in the UK first. So... um, I actually sold the book to Bloomsbury in 2021 mm-hmm. and then spent a little bit of time working with my British editor um, shaping the book and really Allegra at Bloomsbury um, is responsible for pushing it. Cause it was kind of straddling that line between literary fiction and crime fiction. Mm-hmm. And she was like, let's shape out the crime fiction bit um, of the book. So then when we went out um In the US, Soho Crime, it felt like, okay, we could actually submit to them Mm -hmm. because it's actually a a crime novel now. Um, And I'm just really happy that we ended up with them. They're such a great independent press. And I feel like they really kind of punch above their weight in terms of the stuff they're putting out and the quality of the work. Um, And it's just been a lot of fun. The whole team is. I mean, it's it's like a cliche to be like, they're like a family, but they really, a lot of them have been there for a long time. You can tell they all love each other. They work together really well. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been fun to be part of that, that group and get to know them.
0: Absolutely. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Kate. Um, Now let's properly dive into this excellent novel, Rabbit Hole. Could you please take a moment to set this novel up for our listeners?
1: Sure. So Rabbit Hole um follows Teddy Angstrom, who is an English teacher in her mid-20s. At the start of the book, her father dies by suicide on the 10th anniversary of her sister's disappearance. And as she's kind of cleaning house and dealing with everything he left behind, Teddy finds that he had gotten into some Reddit conspiracies around Angie's disappearance, um, and she sort of inadvertently takes up that mantle. So the book is um, her becoming sort of obsessed with this world of uh, Reddit conspiracy around her sister's disappearance and also processing that longstanding grief um, and also the fresh grief of her father's loss.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, First, your book opens by telling us that there are only Nine covered bridges left in the state of Maine. Uh, this bridge um, that, of course, the gentleman drove off of that you alluded to earlier. Uh, what are these covered bridges and why are they so special and rare?
1: I am um, I'm less familiar with Maine than I am with other parts of New England. I huh. actually I was sort of enamored with Maine as a kid. I really like campaigned for a family vacation to Maine um, mm-hmm. and my dad shut it down. By telling me that Maine is where people go to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was really young and I was like, you know, you hear things like, I think he was, you know, he was obviously being hyperbolic. He didn't want to go and thought it was gloomy. Um, but I kind of took it literally. So when I set the book in Maine, um, and I knew it was going to open with this man's suicide, Mm. um, I did a little research into the state. Um, and I am very familiar with Vermont, Massachusetts, like Connecticut, that part of New England, and love those old covered bridges, you know, the features that kind of only really exist in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. So I did a little research into um into Maine, a lot of it on the subreddit, uh, main, the main subreddit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are very protective of their remaining covered bridges. They're very hard to preserve. And so they get replaced, obviously. And then um, Eventually, we just won't have any more.
0: Yeah, um, that's interesting. And we're going to come back to Reddit later. But Maine as a place where people go to kill themselves, also a place where people go to become best selling novelists, I think. Yes,
1: um, <laughs> very literary state.
0: <laughs> yes, many, many things. Um, well, thank you, Kate. Uh, you write that before Angie, the character Angie disappeared, she was focused on all of the things that she did not have. Uh, first Kate what are these things and second why do you think humans are oftentimes so focused on the things they don't have as opposed to the things they do
1: so for Angie um, because she's a teenager I think teenagers are specifically kind of hardwired to think like that Mm -hmm. so the things she she doesn't have you know she doesn't have a boyfriend she doesn't have the tattoos she wants she doesn't have um, I think Teddy says a shot at a half decent college. Like she's very aware of where she's coming up short, where she feels her parents or the world have wronged her. Um, and I think that kind of mentality is pretty common to teenagers, but, but everybody, like you said, um, I actually just wrote a piece last night for um, a newsletter that I'm on like guest posting with mm-hmm. about my own tendency lately to kind of keep moving the goalposts. So we've had a lot of really exciting publicity events and and press and things, mm-hmm. but I still find myself hyper fixating on, well, why is the book not on that list? Why, why am I not here? Like, why did this person get a profile and I didn't? Um, and I, I am really trying to focus on what I do have, but I think you get so, you become accustomed to what you have so fast, like mm-hmm. alarmingly quick um, and take it for granted. And then all you can see is, what you don't have. And, um, yeah, I wanted the book to be a little bit about that too. Teddy, I think is also kind of wallowing in the world of loss and, and is sort of self-pitying in some ways, um, and is blind for much of the book to what she does have. Like she has her mom and she has her job. She has this guy who comes into her life, who she, um, possibly mistreats or, you know, her brother. Um, so that's, I think, also part of the book. That's like Teddy's sort of arrested development that she's still in that teenage mindset of like, but what about this? But what about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, do you think that this focus on things uh, that one doesn't have or this kind of perpetual moving of the goalposts is a particularly American or capitalistic way of thinking, or does it branch out into other countries and philosophies as well?
1: That's a good question. There's probably something uniquely American about it. Cause mm-hmm. I do find it feels at least in my experience, tied to my desire to win things. Like I want to win publicity for the book, you know, mm-hmm. which is a crazy way to think of um, writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is, you know, a kind of with the Teddy works at this competitive high school um, and her sister was kind of a loser where she was, you know, um, salutorian. So I think there is a sense of like, you want to be the best and that's tied to getting some kind of limited resource, right? Like if there's a competitive college that only takes a certain number of kids to to get that would mean um to beat all these other people and so there is something kind of capitalistic about that i think that you're trying to um consume as much as possible like on an individual level
0: yeah absolutely thank you so much for that answer kate listeners we're gonna pause here for a word from libro fm audiobooks and then i will be right back with kate brody The Bookin' Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro FM has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting The Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Kate Brody, author of Rabbit Hole, which is published by our friends at Soho Crime. And I should mention uh, the January Indie Next selection, uh, Rabbit Hole. Um, Has that been a fun uh, type of publicity to win, Kate?
1: (laughs) Yes, that has been fun. Um, That means a lot because, you know, it comes from the booksellers. So that it always feels like their stamp of approval matters the most. Um, My my father in law was really excited. We I'm at my in law's house right now. Mm -hmm. We just got to New York to start the book tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thrust his copy of People Magazine at me yesterday because he's like, mm-hmm. you're in People Magazine, which is yes. like the highest compliment to him. But um, the Indie Next thing meant a lot. It, that felt like a meaningful one for me.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get back into the story, I want to talk about the design of this book. Uh, the cover is amazing. The typeface on the title page is amazing. Uh, who designed the book and what was the process of finalizing the look of the book like?
1: So um, the design of it is um, Jaya, who does the she's the creative designer at Unnamed Press, I think, mm-hmm. um, and she's done a lot of covers that I adore. I mean, she did a Certain Hunger, um, the Aesthetica cover, which is also Soho mm-hmm. um, Tweaker World. She's just super talented, and none of her covers really look like one another, which is kind of remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. Like she just has so much range, um, and yeah, we had experimented, I think, with one other cover. That was almost the same image, but vertical Mm. and hot pink. And it didn't feel quite right. And then when we um, tilted it uh, and changed the color a little bit to that blue that feels almost electronic, like a computer screen, Mm. all of a sudden I felt like, okay, it captured something about um, the topsy-turvy nature of like the internet and the way that Teddy is becoming disoriented. So yeah, I'm very happy with how it turned out.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its uh, cover, but it's an excellent book and an excellent cover. So I guess that in this case, you can. Um, Well, back into the story, Kate, Uh, what was life like for our protagonist, Teddy, uh, when her father slipped back into drug usage? And how should a teenager um, navigate such situations in real life?
1: So yeah, this is, um, I guess, the part of the book that is most autobiographical my my dad died when I was in high school and then my mom fell into a um, really long period of addiction mm-hmm. and it was very destabilizing uh, obviously um mm-hmm. and I think I both really felt for her like it, I understood what what was happening and why she was coping that way mm-hmm. um but also felt bewildered because there there is a kind of role reversal then that happens and with some of Teddy's memories of her dad, she's kind of parentified, right? He's um out of it. He's, you know, high, and she is either feeling frustrated with him, like a parent would be, or frightened, or she's just avoiding him. Um, so it makes the relationship strange. And in some ways, I think um you feel like you you lose a parent before they're gone. Like mm-hmm. so I think uh, that, that complicates her grief later on because in many ways he's already like the version of him that she remembers as a child is already gone to her. She's been living with this kind of ghost of a man who, um, they've written off, uh, by the time he takes his life, he's, you know, living in this, um, in Angie's old bedroom, kind of like scrolling away snacks and receipts and, um, they're almost like, you know, just waiting for him to die anyway. Mm. Um, and so I think Teddy doesn't, doesn't really know a way to deal with that other than she just doesn't change. Like she just stays in the house, she stays, she lives with her parents. Um, so that 10-year period after Angie disappears, prior to the start of the book, where she's living with her mom, who has her own kind of coping strategies, um, and her dad, who has slipped back into this drug use. Teddy doesn't really leave that adolescent phase. She, you know, she takes a job working back at her old high school. Um, So she's back in the same place she was where Angie disappeared. She's still living at home. So even though the book finds her in her mid twenties, I think in a lot of ways, psychologically, she's still kind of a teenager Mm. because her way of handling it is just to not move on with her life, you know, not actually try to, um, do anything because I think it would be I think part of her the challenge for Teddy over the course of the book is um, if she lets go of the like Reddit conspiracy she will have to let go of her sister and her dad at once mm-hmm. um, and really move on and they've all been living in a way where they don't have to actually grapple with the reality of of Angie's loss um, but yeah how should you I don't know I mean It's so hard. There's really no good answers because, you know, addiction is a, is a bear. I, my mom just got sober a year and a half ago, but it was, you know, we tried every, everything in the world and then it just seemed to click one day for, I don't know that you can um, muscle anyone into recovery as much as you might want to. And it's so tempting. Um, I know I just kind of kept my head down and I did sort of the opposite of Teddy. I got out of the house, Mm -hmm. moved away, never went back sort of thing.
0: Yeah, well, uh, good for you. Congrats to your mom. And it seems like that was sort of uh, beyond your years at the time to recognize why she was coping the way she was coping. Um, Yeah, so it sounds like everybody's in a better place. Thank you, Kate. Um, My next question, both in your novel and in real life, uh, how should one navigate a conversation with someone when they learn that the person they are conversing with is in a Dave Matthews band cover band.
1: It's so funny. After I wrote the book, one of my close friends um was telling me he just joined a Dave Matthews band cover band. And I was like, oh my God, it's so funny. Um, I I don't actually harbor such animosity towards dave matthew's band i'm not sure i really get dave matthew's band Mm -hmm. but i have a lot of friends and family members who are into dave matthew's band Mm -hmm. so when i wrote the character of bill i wanted him to be um you know when you're building a character you're trying to find these sort of contradictory components like what if he um is this sort of like sensitive dog person and then he has these libertarian viewpoints and then he's in a dave matthew's band cover band um And you want him to feel like a, like a real person made of all these complexities. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it also felt very New England to me. Everyone I know who's like crazy about Dave Matthews band is from Mm -hmm. at least north of central Jersey Mm -hmm. and they're obsessed. Like, you know, again, I don't, I not I don't um, hate Dave Matthews band, but it doesn't it's funny to me that it, it, that kind of music would inspire such passion. So mm-hmm. I that that I find I always find anything like that interesting. When I'm like this to me is whatever the radio equivalent of elevator music, basically. So mm-hmm. for um, people to to be super into Dave Matthews Band um, is yeah, I just I find it interesting. So um, Teddy, I think Teddy being such a hater though is part of her personality, and I think more a way of characterizing her that she would be like, so disdainful of um, Bill because he's in this DMB cover band. Um, and my friend who's in a Dave Matthew fan cover band is so fun and sweet. And I think he, he explained it to me. He was like, it's just fun. Like everybody likes the music. Everybody knows the songs. It's easy to play. It's easy to sing. Um, doesn't always have to be like high art and just be a good time. <laughs>
0: yeah for sure i also harbor no animosity towards <laughs> dave matthew's band they actually have one of the best drummers of all time but um you know i i did appreciate the joke uh because i think it was their drummer's name was dave and their singer's name was matthew that instead of um the marching ants they should be called dave and matthew's band uh that was brilliant thank you for that um, thank you yeah well moving on uh what works of literature uh inspire you both as a reader and a writer in this book you mentioned the dead by james joyce and your character's last name is angstrom uh which brings Mm -hmm. john updike to mind for me
1: yeah definitely Mm -hmm. um was thinking about updike just with the i feel like there have been a lot of rabbit books in Mm -hmm. recent years rabbit hutch and little rabbit um so i've been thinking a little bit about how all all of our books are sort of in the shadow of um of Rabbit Run, but Mm. I I don't think the book has any similarities to Updike other than that. Uh, I was teaching high school English like Teddy when I wrote the book. And Mm. so I think a lot of those references in the book were also influencing my own writing. So I was teaching the dead, um, teaching all of Dubliners, teaching Frankenstein, the Odyssey, which comes up in the book. Um, And when you're teaching those texts, you're reading them so closely. Like it was such an education for me those first few years of teaching English because they were books I had read, you know, in high school or college as a student. But even as a student, you're reading it once. Maybe you're you're zooming in on like one little section to write a paper. Um, and I was so nervous about my first teaching job. I was pouring over these books. I mean, they were annotated in a way I've never annotated anything. And then you're teaching maybe three sections of a class. So you teach it once. The first one's kind of The second class, you feel like you really nail it. The third one, you're kind of like, am I repeating myself? You can't right. remember where you are. But um, those books just got drilled into my brain. So I, I definitely feel the Frankenstein influence, the kind of gothic influence in the book. I don't know that that's a super apparent thing for anybody else. Um, when Teddy talks about the odyssey, um, that was, that was in my mind the whole time. Uh, but I also read a lot of contemporary literature, um, a lot of mostly literary fiction, um, and a little bit of crime fiction. I'm really interested in books that get the thriller thing right on a sentence level. Mm-hmm. So like Katie Kittimer's Intimacies, which is set in the Hague and, um, you know if you explain the plot it doesn't really sound like a thriller but it is like every every sentence is just like humming with tension mm. so that was um an influence too i mean i know i think a lot of the like goodreads users who are mainlining stephen king are like this book is not a thriller <laughs> when they read rabbit hole uh and it's not it's not in that sense um but i'm i'm hoping to get my writing closer to like, uh, intimacy is kind of place. Um, and then, yeah, just, there's just so many short story writers who I think I, I'm always chasing those sentences, you know, the, even after I'm done with the novel, it kind of drives me crazy because just novels by virtue of their form are always a little bit lax and a little bit soft. Um, but I studied with like Mary Gateskill and Amy Hempel at NYU, mm-hmm. and that was crazy to me at the time because I admired their work so much. And um, and then when you're with them, that that discipline is real. Like they they cannot stand to see a sentence that is not right sit on the page. So I'm always chasing that um, and coming up short. But I think, yeah, that those kind of disparate influences, the really literary short story writers that have that sense of really controlled prose movement image um people like katie kinemura and b Seton who are doing these kind of interesting takes on thrillers in the contemporary space um and then crime fiction i mean that was really like my first love as a kid so coming back to that with this book was fun because i was mainlining stephen king and christopher pike and all that stuff when i was young so that was um the biggest challenge, I think, for me was the plot stuff, which crime fiction writers, um like I, I don't necessarily think of myself as like in my heart a crime fiction writer, but I think if you are, if you're like Dennis Lehane or Stephen King or um, you know, even like Christopher Pike, who's I've read like 30 of those pulpy kind of crazy books. Mm-hmm. They have such an innate sense of story because the whole thing hinges on story. Um, And that can be a great craft lesson because I think a lot of literary fiction is, you know, plot is sort of an afterthought. um, But it's important. Readers like it, respond to it. It's very human, I think, to to want um, the story to have some kind of shape. And crime fiction does that, has to do that
0: yeah absolutely and um listeners um amy hempel who was mentioned has been on this podcast in the past go check that out uh we love amy i'll say two of my favorite um mystery slash thrillers of recent note are um sleepwalk by dan sean uh who's also been on this program and this one rabbit hole which um our friend the uh Excellent writer Lisa C. was in our bookstore yesterday and was asking for recommendations, and I said, this one's not out yet, but I'll give you my copy as soon as I'm done with the interview tomorrow. Um So she'll be swinging Thank you. back by to pick it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um Well, finally, Kate, uh <laughs> this is a Reddit novel. The characters populate the Unsolved Mysteries subreddit, and there is a subreddit dedicated to Angie, uh for our listeners who are unaware because these people are out there, um, what is Reddit? How easy is it to fall down a Reddit rabbit hole? And how specifically did Reddit inspire this novel? Uh
1: so when I when I set out to write the book, mm-hmm. I knew um that there was gonna be a crime element to it, that there was gonna be a disappearance and the sister relationship was right at the center of it. Mm-hmm. Um and then I was trying to find a way in, because I think with novels, you want a couple of things to intersect. Like you want this, um, I actually think one of the trade reviews said like evergreen and contemporary. And I think that's a good way of thinking of it, that the evergreen part of it is the grief story. Mm-hmm. And then how do you make the contemporary intersect with that? Like, how can you give it a fresh spin? Um, and I knew I wanted to write about the way we live online now. Um I had, a, I had written a book before this, I'd said it in like the 80s, almost just to avoid tech, like just to avoid the logistical problems of writing cell phones and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's not do that again. Let's just try to do it. Like, how do we live right now? Um, And what would that look like? And I hadn't seen people writing about Reddit. But at the time I was working on the book, which was like 20, maybe 2018, 2019, Everyone was talking about Reddit, especially the high school kids that I was teaching. They were really big on Reddit. They were using it for everything. Um, And all the adults in the room were kind of like Reddit is a cesspool because the news stories that had included Reddit were all about like incel culture and um, school shooters and things like that. So that was my introduction to it was the juxtaposition of like these kids who I taught and loved who I thought were really great kids. were using reddit like crazy and then my only familiarity with it being like uh my sister was at santa barbara when that school shooting happened and the that guy was associated with reddit and on some um like incel communities posting his manifesto so immediately like if there's two two sort of warring camps like that i'm interested fictionally Mm -hmm. and then i was like okay we're going to do reddit let's um do some research and it's so addictive because it's, it has kind of an old school feel. So if you haven't used Reddit, it's, um, it's like a, it's a series of message boards basically. And they're all subreddits are curated by interest, but it's text-based. There's not um, so much importance placed on the profile. So it didn't feel like Twitter or Instagram, which I had abandoned years before, It didn't feel like a popularity contest or like you had to be performing. It reminded me of chat rooms. Like, okay, this is the thing I'm interested in. Here are all these other people who are gathered here. And it's text-based, which is perfect for a novel. Mm -hmm. And it's very voicey. So I think from a craft perspective, that was the biggest challenge was how to capture the voice of all these different people. Um, And the way that people talk on Reddit is a little bit different than the way they talk in other parts of the internet. They use different acronyms and the cadence and the tempo of it is a little bit different um and the true crime communities on reddit are very very active so i think along with the rise of reddit we saw culturally just this explosion in true crime interests um and the online sleuth community on reddit is very big and they just trade a lot of information about cases mm-hmm. um, and really think that they're kind of like working on these cases so mm-hmm. you if there's a a real life murder that you're into you can go find 100 people who are willing to traffic in information but also just conspiracy theories um, some of them are really invading the privacy of these families um and that also felt fictionally interesting to me, that Teddy would be the subject of this kind of speculation. There's a moment in the book where she finds an, a really old subreddit of people talking about her and it's tangentially related to her sister's disappearance, but not really. It's almost like a tabloid interest in her. And she's a teenager at the time. Um, and now as an adult, she can see they're all kind of talking about her and her body and um. The idea that that would be happening somewhere on the internet and you wouldn't even be aware of it was so unsettling to me. Um, and that felt like a horror movie, like a horror element that I could bring into the book as well. So there were just a lot of things with Reddit where it felt it felt really perfect for the novel. It just felt like the right thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. Well, thank you, Kate. And thank you for writing this wonderful book which is one of the first great books of 2024. Listeners, I've been speaking with Kate Brody, author of Rabbit Hole, which is published by our friends at Soho Crime. Kate, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much. This is a lot of fun.
0: Once again, I would like to thank Kate Brody for joining me. Copies of Rabbit Hole can be purchased at www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite and local independent bookstore process. My name is Jason Jefferies and this has been booking